There it goes. Dun, 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 dun. What's up, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls? Hello, welcome to Friday night, 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We're here every single week. It's your place for the unfiltered experience where we talk and we interview people that are designed to move yourself and your confidence and your courage to the next level to create a kick-ass, unstoppable life. Myself, I am Christopher Roush, the No Excuses Coach, and I'm joined by my awesome friend and cohort, Scott Goyette. Scott Goyette? Scott, I haven't talked to you in a while. What's going on, man? How's your week going? Uh, a little crazy. Uh, my my mom has been getting a bunch of surgeries. Uh, just kind of, you know, we, we get older, we start trying to rebuild the body because we can't live in it anymore. Uh, so she got a hip surgery a few months ago. Now I got a shoulder surgery. They just rushed her to the hospital because she's uh, bleeding from where she had like a port. And so they took her in the ambulance. So as soon as we're done with this, I'm going to go over there. Um, but it's... Like, like everybody listening knows there's things going on 24 seven, some that we can control, some that we can't control anything within that. And we just got to keep flowing and keep growing. So keep flowing and right keep now. growing. I love that. I love that. I appreciate, I appreciate you being here. If anytime you get a text message or anything, you need to dodge off Don't by all means, it. that's most important. We got Elizabeth in the house. I knew Elizabeth was going to be here. What's up, Elizabeth? She says, ah, she says, yep. Definitely. Elizabeth Elizabeth has been through her fair share. She was recently a guest on the Raw and Scripted show. We'll have to get her on here as well. Sweet. She's an amazing soul. And she's actually the person that introduced us to our guest tonight. So we'll kind of we'll kind of skip the small chat this time and uh we'll just kind of dive right into the, the subject matter so we can get you out of here so you can go uh be with the family. And uh I'm excited. I've had plenty of conversations with our guest tonight, and he's an amazing soul, he's an amazing individual. He's really out there doing the deed, really trying to provide value-added content to grow people beyond their current state of mind their limited perspectives. He helps people dealing with child protective services. He helps people going through divorce. He helps people basically expand their mindset and be able to get out of their limited thinking. Without any further ado, welcome to the Unfiltered Experience, Mr. Will Kesselman. What's going on, Will Kesselman? How are you doing tonight, brother? I'm doing great, guys. How are you guys doing? Good. We're doing fantastic. I mean, aside from Mr. Scott here has got yeah. the situation going on. But uh, yeah, we're doing good. I'm looking forward to this conversation tonight, inspiring some people. We got Stacy in the house. What's up, Stacy? Had a great conversation with Stacy. Uh, Scott and I know Stacy from way back in the day when we were on the Speaking to the Heart podcast network. So, Stacy, it's appreciative that you're here supporting the show. Thank you. You're going to have a great time. So, Will, just going to jump right off the deep end and just sure. ask you the question that we've been asking most of our guests over the last couple of years. Obviously, we've all been experiencing COVID, the pandemic, social injustices, political situations here in the United States. What have, what have the last two years really taught you personally about yourself and, and the trials and tribulations of experiencing COVID and business interruptions and everything else? What have you learned about yourself? A lot. But first, I do want to say to Scott, I hope it's your mom, right? So I hope your mom gets yeah, yeah. better. Um, like genuinely, seriously. Because medicals is, well, part of the last two years was dealing with health and medicals and all that kind of oh, stuff. So to tie it in for a split second there, but more importantly, family is always important. So I do hope your mom, you know, gets the, the not just the treatment that she needs, but recovers and so on and so forth. So, you know, family is always important and health, like you can't change health. Um, mm -hmm. Money comes and goes and everything else can come and go more or less, but health, you know, it is what it is. So to answer your question <laughs> is, I mean, a lot. I mean, 
part of my, my journey for the last two years has been juggling both <clears throat> working for the government as an, an investigator, as well as doing my company, getting it off the ground and all those pieces. And with COVID, in terms of my world in that sense, comes lockdowns. With lockdowns comes a lot in terms of whether it's family dynamic issues or constraints or, you know, power and control kind of issues, all that kind of stuff. And also allowing people to see that they do have power, they do have a voice and to actually hold on to it, obviously in a respectful, equal kind of way. Um, no one should be more dominant than anybody else, but realize that there is power, there is a voice and not to give it away in any shape or form. So that's the short version. There's a whole lot of stuff that's happened over the last two, two and a half years. So. Well, dig into that a little bit. I mean, what for you, and looking back at it, what is maybe one or two or things that have, that situations that have happened that have arisen and what have you, what have you done to get through those particular moments? Cause this show is all about providing people strategies and, and tactics to be able to get out of those momentary situations. Cause a lot of times Scott and I were talking about this earlier that we have two choices when something happens unexpectedly, we can react emotionally and kind of go ballistic or we could choose to respond and sit there and say, is this happening for my greater good? Is there something I can see that's positive out of this? You know, what, what types of situations were that were that for you? Yeah, it's like the old the old cliched adage: face everything and rise out of fear, so to speak. So, um, for me, well, I ended up getting COVID very early on, as an example. And at the time that I got it was April. And at the time, they're like, "Okay, if you end up in the hospital, it's not not very good, shall we say?" You know. And I was getting to the point where I should have gone to the hospital, and I was refusing to go not just with willpower, but in terms of resolve and resources, like resourcefulness, right? Like, let's call some friends who are doctors, let's call some friends who then get me to pulmonologists and other people and everything else. And through my own research, you know, I was able to sort of think, okay, let's just say that it's not what they think it is. Maybe it's more of a oxygen blood flow kind of thing as opposed to a lung kind of thing. So I was doing all these different things, whether it's stretches, whether it's actually working out in small amounts, certain things that people weren't necessarily doing or wasn't public on TV, I was being resourceful. So I guess I would tell anyone that there should they shouldn't be stuck in that sense. There's always a way to find, to get from A to B, or get from one side of the mountain to the other side of the mountain, or whatever, you know, whatever paradigm you want to use, there's always a way to go from, from one side to the next, uh, or one side of the bridge to the next side of the bridge. Sometimes it's finding that right vehicle or the right person to get you from A to B, or right information to go from A to B. So, you know, that it's so huge, just perseverance and, and, and honing in on as best you can within your means and so on and so forth, but honing in on stuff that can really help you and push you a little bit to get to where you got to go. So Nice. And you, and you said something in there that, that that's a word that, and this is a question we've asked a lot of our guests. You said, do the best you can. And I think back, you know, whenever I hear that, I think back to probably about, probably about six or seven years ago now. I mean, it's crazy to think it was that long. I came home from work and there was something challenging that happened at work and I was putting my keys and stuff up on my dresser. And I thought to myself, well, I did the best I could. And for the first time ever in my life, I said, Chris, was really that your best? And I sat there and I started thinking about it as a coach, you know, always thinking about, you know, you got to do your best, you got to do your best, but how do we ever define what our best is? And I sat there and I thought about it. I'm like, Chris, you didn't do your best. 
but it's easy to to say that we did our best because it goes back to that childhood conditioning like chris you know you sucked on your math test you got a poor grade did you do the best you could um yeah okay we'll do better next time and that's all we ever hear we never hear you know how to do better or what to do better we're like Ooh, that was a get out of jail free card. I don't have to, you know, I could just sit there and say, I did my best. Did you work out today? Yeah, I did the best I could, but realistically we don't. So in your terms and, and the people that you've worked with in your life and for yourself, how do you determine what your best really is? Yeah. So in terms of my line of work, working for the government, for example, but also that same level, that same threshold level that I put on myself and people know <laughs> I can be sometimes overly serious. or I can be sometimes overly, um, putting that bar very, very high, not in a perfectionist way, but still very, very high because there's very room, very little room for error. So when I say give your best, maybe I should, maybe you have better words for me, Chris, as the, <laughs> in terms of your no excuses coaching. But um, when I say do, do your best, I don't mean like, oh, okay, it was your best. I mean like, no, 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 no. I pushed, I, I, I talked to everybody I possibly could. I used Google 4,000 times over and it got mad at me kind of thing although it doesn't talk back, obviously, but still. And that's the point, is that for me, the best I can isn't like, oh, whatever. It's no, 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 I've exhausted everything. And not to hold back, obviously being polite, of course, but not to hold back in a sense of, if they're in your network, even if you haven't called them in 5,000 years, maybe apologize for that, but still say, hey, look, I know this isn't maybe in your wheelhouse, or this is slightly off, but still in your wheelhouse. Call them and ask them. You know, as long as you're respectful of people, people are okay with that in terms of whatever may be the situation. So, you know, the best I can is not like, eh, okay, whatever. It's like, no, 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 I've tried everything possible. Um, because again, for me, in terms of the world that I live in, it's lives on the line, literally. Uh, whether it's, you know, physical or um, mental health, emotional, psychological, um, literally dominance. And it, as we know, if we, a person, oh, let's say I, I'll use the I as the example. If I don't have good mental health or I um, don't see myself in a certain way, it affects our, our physical health. It can yeah. easily, people who have depression can have like stuff like fibromyalgia and stuff. I'm not saying it's, it's, it's a fake thing. Fibromyalgia is real, but our mind impacts the amount of pain that's increased from a fibromyalgia or something else or recovery from, from surgeries and stuff. That's why certain surgeries, they encourage you to be around pets and stuff or whatever the case might be because the mental health, the psychological aspects, the mindset aspects are so important across the board, including, you know, whatever world, whatever your situation is and whatever you're facing. So. Hmm. When you, when you think about the more, more importantly, the question is like, when you're working with people, you're working with your clients, how do you get them to do their best or, or what suggestions do you have for them to do their best? So if we're talking about my coaching or my consulting, yeah. then oftentimes we're, well, people who I deal with are, are, are going through trauma and that trauma can have an effect, right? Because it goes thoughts, emotions, behaviors. At least that's the paradigm that I use. Some people don't always like that. Fine. It is what it is. But ultimately I use thoughts, emotions, behaviors. That's the paradigm I use. And therefore I work with my clients to have them take a step back so they have some breathing room, some space, some perspective. And then we work on some of the peripheral stuff to sh give them some strength and some gains and to say, oh, yes, I can change in certain ways. And then we go into some of the heavier aspects or heavier topics or heavier things that need to be addressed or need to be worked on or 
um, growth needs to happen because ultimately we need, whether it's I, the person going through trauma or the client, a person needs to have the momentum of positive gains to be able to face certain very, very scary or daunting kind of stuff. So that's one of the one of the many approaches. But again, you have all everyone has different tools in their chest. It just depends on the circumstances and what's presented and you know, so on and so forth. So well, what are your favorite tools? Which ones would you suggest in any situation? Is there a go-to tool that just makes the most sense for you, especially to get those, you know, positive things out there so that you're on the right track? So for me, I my biggest go-to is the use of supports, especially if we're talking about women, for example, but men too. And we'll get back to that in terms of the whole pandemic stuff. But that's changed the whole dynamic for mm -hmm. men getting help when it comes to domestic violence and narcissistic abuse. That's a whole other, you know, recent kind of development. But when it comes to uh, clients, primarily women, who've been isolated, that's part of domestic violence, or who've been uh, sort of whether it's isolated in their mind or isolated physically as well to the family, friends, neighbors, houses of worship, whatever the case is. So it really is about those small gains can include supports. Like, well, uh, for example, someone says, well, I haven't spoken to so-and-so in three years. And the last time I spoke to them, I wasn't very nice because I thought they were being mean to me because my, my partner or spouse, whatever was like, no, they're full of crap and don't talk to them anymore. That kind of thing. I'm like, people are human. If, they, if you explain to them, chances are, and that small gain, now it's not going to happen with everyone. Certain people will be cheesed off and they may not be receptive to this person calling them three years later or four years later or 10 years later, whatever the case is. But chances are people are receptive. They may not give them a big bear hug or whatever, but they're receptive and they'll say hello and they'll begin to build that bridge again. That's a small gain because the person who's gone through that trauma is like, oh, wait a second. The mountain is not so high anymore for calling a few friends, for beginning to regain some of who they were before, right? Because that's really what it's all about when we talk about, at least in my world, you know, the trauma regarding domestic violence, narcissistic abuse, and those kinds of things. It's, it's very much a before and now, and how much different things are in people's minds. And I have to remind them that the mountain, that difference is not so high. And it's just a matter of understanding some of the changes, taking some ownership, being respectful, and then reaching out to certain people. Hmm. I love that. I love that. And you mentioned a few times, if you're if you're able to mention, you mentioned your, your government job. What is it specifically you do there? So I do investigations of special victims, quote unquote, stuff. So human sex trafficking, domestic violence. Um, we deal with narcissists almost the whole time. Uh, child abuse. I said domestic violence already. Um, sex abuse. The, the heavy of the heavy, basically. So it's very similar to the TV show in terms of the the uh, subject matter and um, some of the scenarios, let's say. Hmm. What got you into that? That's I mean, that's a pretty <laughs> incredible job. I mean, that's that's quite a quite an accomplishment. So funny enough, I was actually in school, and I had a couple of classmates who were in the same agency, and I'm like, oh, that sounds cool. And the the thought process for me was, okay, so I'll do it for two or three years. It's been way more than two or three years, but I'll do it for two or three years. I'll get some skills and I'll go on to grad school, whether it be um, getting a social work degree or going to for clinical psychology or whatever the case was. And it's now almost 15 years later. It'll be 15 years um, on Monday, actually. 15 wow. years on Monday that I've been doing this. And um, obviously... 
one's mental health is very important. And so, you know, you, we have to every so often see a mental health professional, even for ourselves, PTSD is real. It's not talked about enough. It's not dealt with enough. It's not um, the ownership in a good way, but the ownership of it, whether it's communal or whether it's personal, isn't addressed enough and discussed enough and everything else. And like everything, you know, we have our own internal issues, whether, and I'm not saying I can say specifically, but like everywhere else, there's alcoholism and other substance abuse issues and, and everything else. And, you know, if, if you're seeing trauma a lot or all day, every day, whatever, you're going to have certain reactions. I'm able to handle it for myself. It's working out. It's traveling. It's talking to family and friends. It's whatever works for me that helps me reconnect to what makes me me as opposed to the stimuli that I'm seeing that can really have an impact on sort of weighing you down almost sometimes. It depends on what you're seeing, of course. So hmm. Nice, nice. And so, well, so back to, you know, one of Chris's uh, original questions. So post-COVID, of course, you're going to have, you know, I'm a professor, one of the hats that I wear. So, you know, typically in the classroom, suddenly you're teaching these students and you're seeing a new, a new dynamic because in the classroom, whatever they're getting away from at home disappears and they're in this safe space that I create and I'm really good at that. The safe space isn't as safe when they're sitting at home and in, in someone's room or the dad's home drinking or the mom's upset about this or somebody's doing drugs. Let's talk about the, uh, the kind of, you know, I, I want to know maybe not the worst story or whatever, like, like that you're, you're dealing with. What's the most consistent shift that you're seeing because people are stuck in these spaces that aren't safe spaces. And what can we tell these individuals? You know, again, your first tool is fantastic. Minimize the mountain by, you know, getting people into uh, support. Support's huge. But, you know, what can we really tell these kids? Because I'm going to share something with you that was to that PTSD point. I have 36 kids in a class, typically three classes. In a typical semester, what I subscribe to when I take those three classes, as I know, six kids out of those three classes, two per class, are going to have a real serious issue. Um, a divorce in the family. Somebody died. Um, something bad happened. They broke up and it was abusive. Something. So I'm going to be both professor and crisis counselor to an extent. What I can support, I can support. Where I can hand off, I hand off. I can tell you 90% of those students, 90% of those 36 in each class, probably 30, 30, 33 students had a real serious issue that suddenly they're coming to me because they think I'm the only person they can trust because I was the extent of their support. I can't minimize that mountain on my own because I'm not even sure who to hand them off to because they're scared and they're, it's minimal contact. What can we tell somebody like that who might be listening? What's a first step in addition to you know, extending for support? Because I didn't always have the answers. And to your bigger point, I've definitely got some PTSD from it. It's a great question, Scott. Yeah. So two things stand out to me that are universal in a sense. One is because you have the old school term access and opportunity in that sense to these students on a regular basis. The classes may change, but it's still students and so on and so forth. 100%. Right. So they're more likely to reach out to you than their own parents or family, to be 100%. honest, because you're more removed. And so there's less judgment or perceived judgment. We can, that's a whole other conversation. Um, but more importantly, to me, what stands out also is the universal question or the quintessential question of, I see my neighbor going through domestic violence. I see my, 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 my kid's friend, whatever, like that one step removed and how do I handle it, right? And they're almost two and the same, but 
you know, there's all some nuanced differences as well. The other thing I, and I'll get to the answer in a split second, but the other thing that stands out to me is your numbers are actually very, very low. If we look at domestic violence alone and intimate person, IPV is a new term, intimate personal violence or intimate person violence, among other ways we can reframe it, you're looking at, for men now, it went from about 11-ish percent to 27% pre and post-COVID. Now, that's just reporting. And there's a whole other topic about underreporting and you know, properly reporting and that kind of stuff. But then for women and IPV, and it's 33% or more. So if you take those numbers alone, in my opinion, and with all due respect, it's not two per class. You're looking probably, if it's a class of 20 or 30, you're looking at, at at least six to 10 per class, at least. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like listen so, to the point again. The point is I'm in a classroom environment where it's in, it's in class. I understand yeah. how prevalent it is. In other words, oh, I, I, I know you that number, but I want people to realize it. that it could be a friend's friend that has an issue or whatever, yeah. whatever, and not to be like blinders on or whatever. Or if you're in the airport, and you see a kid with an adult and it looks off, that's likely going to be human or sex trafficking. Say something. Do something within your means, within your comfort zone. And to the point now to answer your question, it's first and foremost, in your scenario, in your dynamic, they need to feel seen, heard, and respected. Yeah. In that love kind of sense. Everything else is secondary to them feeling as if they're being received in all of in all that essence then it's what are they comfortable with are they okay with going to the guidance counselor or, and they may not be they usually probably aren't in my opinion but i'm not a kid i'm not in, in that environment as much then it's okay so you don't want to do that but you're it's also about a focus as well if we're talking especially about any type of trauma or violence as an example then the the bigger picture isn't I don't want to get somebody in trouble or I don't want to cause an issue. The framing needs to be because people often are like, well, I don't want to cause an issue. I don't want whatever. I just need a bit of space or some breathing room or whatever. Ultimately, the only way to get that breathing room or space or safety is to take charge in a way that may not be a full-blown order of protection. It may be just be a police report and the person has the right to tell the police they're just doing a report. They don't want them to actually go through with an investigation to press charges. And then the person can take the court of the um, police report, get a civil or family court order of protection. There are ways to do it, even if you're not living together. Okay. And it wouldn't be a domestic violence report. It would be a, a, a straight up report or a straight up violence report with the police, for example. Then you get the order of protection against the person who's done stuff. And you're good to go in terms of safety, a buffer, and so on and so forth. Okay, it doesn't have to be a full-blown, uh, uh, full. Um, give me a second. Okay, my, my words confused here. It doesn't have to be a full-blown, full stay away is the word I was looking for. It could be what's called a modified or a limited, where the person can't sneeze whatever way, or they can't hop on their left foot, or whatever the case is. It could be speci specified to certain things so that there is safety. And there is that 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 realm of I can breathe a little bit because if they the person does it again, yes, they're going to jail because eventually they're going to tell somebody. People, if something's going on, most people tell someone. They have to release it. And when that second person hears about it, then obviously they have to make sure the person's safe and protected. They go see mental health a mental health counselor. Those mental health counselors, as we know, there's a level of safety in terms of uh, what's called client patient privilege. 
where they don't have to, the, the therapist won't say anything unless there's a danger to themselves or others. Right. So there's that element to it in terms of another layer of safety and another set of eyes on a regular basis, not in a punitive way, but in a supportive way. So that's sort of the way that I would go when we talk about some of the scenarios that I'm envisioning that you may encounter in a classroom type setting. Obviously there's other stuff too, and there's alcoholism and drug abuse and that kind of stuff where enabling to be a bigger issue and others in the class or others in campus or whatever the case is can enable. And that's a whole other topic as well. But um, just throwing certain things out that come to mind in terms of gut reactions and sort of gut thoughts basically. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. You touched on something, Will, um, previously that I thought was very interesting. And I was thinking about the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial. Did you watch any of that? I watched clips. I, yeah. I followed a lot because I was in certain rooms on Clubhouse, for example, um, commenting and being asked to be a speaker and so on and so forth. So what are your thoughts on that? Because I thought it was magnificent that it ultimately came out that, you know, essentially they're both batshit crazy, but that it wasn't the case of where, you know, you always have to bleed the woman that the man is always wrong. And I love the fact that that came out. What are some of your thoughts on that trial and, and some of the things that you deal with and and, and the, the, the the cases where men are standing up now and saying, hey, listen, you know, this woman went batshit crazy on me. I'm going to file a complaint. Yeah. So my initial reaction for the first week or two was that it's what's called mutual violence. And when I was going through all of the different websites and stuff, there was one, I think it was there's one mental health professional who testified in court, or there's a commentator, one of the two, and she literally said, this is mutual violence. I'm like, yes, I was right. <laughs> um, but as I heard more, some of the words that Amber Heard was using made me realize that while they both have issues, that Amber Heard is less credible to me and that Amber Heard was likely more abusive. But look, they both had their issues. That's, I'm not sure you told me anything. <laughs> yeah. but, but if we had to sort of have like a scale kind of thing, it's not 100-0 in either direction, but it, it's slightly more an issue that I have with Amber Heard and likely that she's a perpetrator because I wasn't a fly on the wall and I wasn't pink on the wall. And that's the only way you're going to know. If what's really going on is if you're actually in that home for long enough and see things or hear things, or you're in the neighbor's house next door and the walls are paper thin, then that's one thing. But most of us don't know because we hear stuff and people want to present a certain way. It's not going to be what the, re what the reality is. And, and in terms of what I do as an investigator, that's how we're trained is listen to the information, take the information, but do not sort of ride that train about what you're being told, be critical, respectful, but critical, ask the questions, have the open mind and figure things out. And so with Amber Heard again, it, it for me, so case in point, so Amber Heard, I forget exactly what it was. I think it was with the bottle and the, the Johnny Depp having his finger cut or whatever it was, something came, came, came across me in terms of a reaction where Someone who's narcissistic and isn't the survivor slash victim, the survivor is going to have an opinion where it's more of a like trauma and defensive posture, like, you know, that didn't happen, but whatever. Whereas it was more offensive and it was more putting um, Johnny Depp down. And that screams to me at, at least the beginnings of, if not possible, full-blown narcissism. Because narcissists need to put down 
who they feed off of. And if you have that dynamic where someone's putting you down, almost like two people are drowning and one person's pushing on the other person's head because both people can't swim, maybe a bad example, but it works for right now. You know, bottom line is, you know, that's sort of how it is in the sense of a narcissist who needs to push down someone else. So if you have that, that power dynamic, anything you're seeing, it's possible despite mutual violence that one person is more so or more so in that moment or in that time period of three, six months or whatever the case is. So that's really what stood out to me. So in terms of the other part, part of your question, so in general, men will get the raw end of the deal because of how society is, right? Guys should be masculine. They should be strong. They shouldn't show weakness. They shouldn't cry. They shouldn't express their feelings, so to speak, you know, and that couldn't be further from the truth in terms of reality, in terms of mental health, in terms of everything else. And in my opinion, and we've had these conversations, you and I, Chris, like the whole time, in terms yeah. of it's manly to cry, it's manly to express your feelings, it's not weakness. And in fact, it's actually strength. Another topic, but the but the but the, the, the to answer your question though, it's with with everything that I do, my secret sauce, more so than most people who I see, it's understanding just how, I'm going to say biased, but in a weird kind of way, more so we, we view things from the eye perspective in an assumptive kind of way. And mm -hmm. my secret sauce is minimizing those assumptions to as close to zero as possible. We all have biases. We all have different ways of looking at things, granted. But if you can minimize the expectations, minimize the biases, minimize the assumptions, and then go from there. So if you're talking to a cop, for example, and the cop's like, oh, well, you're a guy, or oh, well, this sounds weird, address it, address it. I know this sounds weird, I know it looks whatever, but this is the reality. You may think this, but this is it's not that for this reason. You may think it, it's something else, it's not that for that reason. As long as a person's not long-winded and they can explain themselves in about 30 seconds, two minutes per issue, the cop will listen. After about five, 10 minutes, They'll make up their mind, but they'll listen to certain reasonable information and addressing the points that you think someone may not want to believe you on. Again, for men, it's weakness, crying, feelings, etc. Well, for that, I would say, you know, address it, address those points and also state the facts as that person has experienced them. That's one of many ways, but that's one of the key ways really to, to handle it. So. So in other words, just tell the truth. Yes, but it's more than the truth. In other words, it's not. Uh, I, I I hear you, but but it, it is. It's actually not more than the truth. It is the truth. The problem is we don't tell the truth. We don't tell all of it. We just say I was upset, and we don't say she's been. I'm, I, I I'm hearing you. I'm just saying I think so many times we don't speak all of it because we feel like it sounds wussy or weak or something. Well, it's more than that. Also, no one wants to hear everyone's violent stories in that sense. Violent, sure. quote unquote, of course. So we're trained in society: men, women, kids, oh, adults. Yeah the cases you know mm -hmm. concise whatever because no one wants to hear more than that but if a cop is there that's not a typical social setting or if an investigator is there not a typical setting or if you're if, if, if your students for example are listening to this and they're in front of you that's not your typical social setting that's a setting where the dynamic has shifted slightly to someone needing help someone who can give help and that's when someone needs to really speak up and say certain things and then it's okay it's manly or feminine or okay in either direction, whatever gender, whatever identity, whatever vision, mindset, etc. a person is, it's okay to say a few extra things to make sure the other person says, oh, okay, 
because people will make certain assumptions. And if you can knock those assumptions down, it helps that much more for someone to be able to help you, whoever you is or are. The clarity. Like a, clarity. Yeah. It's like when Johnny Depp, when, like, when he clearly said, yeah, I did a bunch of cocaine and I was drunk and I acted like an idiot, but that has nothing to do with this. That's exactly the correlation. But that's that's my point is put it all out there and, and speak the truth. I mean, this is this is classic debate one-on-one. You know, you go out there and you know exactly what somebody's going to come in and say. So knowing that this person is going to attack you in this way, just be like, and let me guess, they're going to say blank, 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 blank. I mean, Chris watches me do this all the time. I'll put something out there. And then somebody's like, shit, what do I argue about now? And then they have to take the wind out of their sails. It's like Eight Mile. You know the movie Eight Mile? Where they're doing the the rap battles? And then Eminem just knocks the other guy down before he can say anything? Yeah. But it's that. He calls him out. He he throws his weakness out. He goes, What else you got? Yeah. He goes, Great. My mom's this and this and this, and I'm weak and I'm I'm sad. What do you got now? And the guy's like, Oh shit, that was my (laughs) all my material. You just stole my only material. Okay, I gotta go home now. Exactly. Does that yeah, work? It's true. It's true. I want to grab a couple of these comments. We got some amazing yeah, folks yeah. in the house. We got uh, Mary Casey's up. Happy Friday, Christopher Scott and Will. Thank you. Gracias. We've got Stacy in the house. She says pets are awesome and extremely helpful. Definitely yeah. in those those situations. We got the beautiful, amazing Serena Buffalino who is back home with her coop. Coop had his right leg amputated after being attacked by a coyote, and he was already running like three days later. It was smiling, wow. always smiling, waiting for. Smiling. He was waiting for a FaceTime during everything. It was awesome. It was action. awesome. Thank Love you, it. Serena, for being here. I uh, got Elizabeth saying, "Yep, we have to step up and be observant." Absolutely. When you were talking yeah. about, you know, saying something. Got the beautiful Mary Kay in the house. My sister from another mister. She says, I once asked a child on the sidewalk if he knew the man in the car that he was talking to. The man yelled at me, turned out to be his dad. I told him he should be grateful for my question. That is awesome. That is absolutely awesome. And uh, Robert is being verbose as well. Thank you, Robert, for being here. I appreciate that. Um, You know, when I think about these conversations, I think about that. What are some common situations that you're finding, Will, in those male domestic violence cases? What are some of the things that are perpetuating this stuff that's going on? And perhaps we can help some men be able to stand up as well. But what are some of the things you're seeing these days? I think shame is the big one. And shame shame looks different, obviously, in terms of women being abused or their power and control being taken away. But for men, it's shame in the sense of not filling the role society has for them. And therefore, well, I shouldn't be abused. I should be, if anything, the abuser. I'm not saying you should do that. But in terms of mindset and whatever, right? So the shame is, you know, I should be the one in control. I should be the one without weakness. I should be the one, you know, whether it's the positive side or the negative side, there should be the male masculine energy and dominant and that kind of stuff. And so men are very, very hesitant to saying stuff. And even in the coaching world, there's more women who seek help than men in general. Okay. So, you know, there's that reality and and things are shifting slowly, but surely, which is good. But, and, but, and I mean, whatever you want to to say it is for me as a guy, it helps that I'm there. And if enough women are trained to sort of spot that and more and more they are, my colleagues and, you know, whether it's the, the professional side for the government or what I do on the, you know, for myself and my consulting and coaching firm, more and more women are seeing it and, and allowing men to, in their own way, in a way that's comfortable for them. That's part of it also. That's so huge is that comfort element and a way that allows them to still be who they are 
as opposed to the typical quote-unquote paradigm of more so these kinds of services geared to women, these kinds of help in terms of the step-by-step approaches to help women, more and more it's two different ways to handle it because again, there's needs and like a MO kind of thing from women is different than men. So it really is a matter of respecting a man's needs. And like I said before about addressing stuff, you know, hey, you're probably thinking this, you're probably feeling that or whatever it is, it's cool. There's no judgment here. You want to talk about it, fine. You don't want to talk about it, that's fine. The most important thing in terms of my line of work, the most important thing is your safety, right? Let's handle that first. The rest we can handle with, or if you want to talk to somebody else, I have a couple of names for you, that kind of thing, you know? But obviously when you mention safety, people are like, oh, okay, yeah, safety. I, I want to be safe. No one wants to be unsafe, you know? The other stuff in terms of talking, in terms of emotions, in terms of trauma, whatever, that's a different story. People have different perspectives and cultures and religions and upbringings and, you know, regions of, of the United States, for example, among other, you know, aspects. And it all matters and it all has a way in which a person's going to respond. But safety is one of those universal things like death and taxes, essentially, so, you know. So true. So true. And one of the things I want to shift gears here for a second and thank you for that, Robert, because it is so true. I mean, men are getting more to the point and that's what we talk about in the men's club is the fact that the vulnerability is actually a strength and being able to stand up and sit there and say, Hey, listen, I'm not going to tolerate this anymore. And to the, to your point as well, the stereotypes like, Oh, the man is supposed to be this, the woman is often this. So I love the fact that Johnny stood up and, and fought that. And I, I, I want, I'm very interested. I'm not sure if you know Marilyn Manson, but Marilyn Manson mm-hmm. has had several accusations against him and I've read his book and I've followed him. And he has said that it's all been consensual, that these guys have been fans and everything. So it'll be interesting to see what comes out of that, because I know a lot of people are already stereotypically saying, oh, Manson's, you know, this and that and the other thing, and he's guilty. So I'm really keen on that because he's actually a really brilliant, soft-hearted kind of guy. I mean, yeah, he's a freak, but as long as it's consensual, then it should be okay, right? Mm, It depends. It depends on what's being done. It depends if it's harmful. It depends, you know, obviously – well, S&M is harmful, but apparently people will dig it. <laughs> so here's the thing. So a person can have a mindset where they think they actually are okay with it, but subconsciously they're not. Okay. And I know that's a little bit deep for seven or eight or 10 minutes left or whatever, the, whatever it is, but no. there are, you know, there are aspects like, for example, someone going through trauma, better example, going through domestic violence and they're in love with their abuser and they're not seeing the narcissism, Right. But ultimately, they realized, oh, it was a sham. Oh, he doesn't really love me. Oh, this relationship was built on nothing, essentially, or air, or him being controlling, manipulative, etc. So a woman will do certain things for the guy under a certain pretext, but that pretext is not entirely true, right? So proper, consensual sex, BDSM, whatever the case is, is one thing. But I do want to throw that question out there is it's very important in the sense of that mindset aspect where some people, and I don't know the percentages, but some people may say it's consensual and at the time it's consensual, but really it wasn't for them because of other important factors at play. That doesn't mean revisionist history. That doesn't mean going after them afterwards and being inappropriate or whatever, but it means being raw and real. And there are situations that are properly raw and real where it wasn't 100% consensual. And that's the only thing I'm trying to sort of bring out. There are different layers to all this. So, you know, I just wanted to throw that out there. But also, as well, narcissists are very good at saying, I'm not saying he is. I'm not implying he is. My opinion. 
Right. Hypnosis is very good at saying, oh, yeah, they, they can send it to it, or oh, yeah, this, or oh, yeah, that. It's really important to reserve judgment and get as much of the facts as possible before a person makes that judgment. Because again, there's these underlying conditions and these underlying pieces that can really throw things off completely. So. True. So if in those situations, if like Sarah Manson's talking about this, and even though after the fact, she realizes that maybe she shouldn't have said yes, legally by the letter of the law, if they're in that moment and she says, yeah, you can go ahead and do this. Should he still be convicted and be found guilty? If she later on says, oh, well, I was under the guise of something else. So I shouldn't have said yes. But even if she said yes, right in that moment, that's consensual, right? It's consensual as far as I know in terms of criminal law. So I'm so my area of expertise is more so civil law than criminal law. Gotcha. These special victim stuff. I work a lot with all sorts of criminal law enforcement, all levels. Um, lots of friends all over the place, all over the country, different levels, and so on and so forth. I don't want to misspeak. I don't want to take away someone's power. Uh, that would be very very harmful in general. But I will say that it's likely not necessarily a criminal issue, but it could be if there was elements of power and control, brainwashing, manipulation prior to that, then there could still be an, an impact on the person saying, yes, it was consensual at the time. And then later on, they're saying, no, no, it really wasn't. Obviously, the facts matter. And yeah. it being as detailed, as raw, real, respectful, and so on and so forth as possible. But, you know, that's why it's not a hundred percent yes or no for me. It's just a matter of understanding that there's nuances to this stuff. And that's why well, that's what makes this world of abuse and especially the verbal aspects and the psychological aspects of abuse um, a very tough and it requires a lot of work, a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of energy, thought process, being meticulous, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, True. you could have a proverbial gun to somebody's head and get a yes out of anybody you want. And that, that could literally, like I'm hearing it loud and clear. I mean, anybody who's a good salesperson, you know, in time, you know, you'll appreciate this, Will. One of the things I did with my students a few semesters, I love playing little social experiment games. A couple semesters in a row, I would tell them certain points that were in stone. You know, the four P's of marketing of this or this. Price is the one that's the easiest to screw up. I'd give them points that are very, like, etched in stone. Well, everything that you talked about early on, I create a safe space for everybody seen and heard. So guess what? They really like me. Now, what if I'm a gaslighter, a narcissist, or an evil person? It doesn't matter. So they've defined they like me. So if I'm the devil, it's too late. And so then what I do, one of the last days of class is I fully contradict myself and I say it and I look around the class, no one says an effing thing. Cause they're like, they're looking like this, but they won't say it because they don't want to contradict me. Chris, you would love this shit. And then I say, I go, are you guys fucking kidding me? And they're like, oh, we will, oh, 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 but we don't want to contradict you. So what do they do? AKA agree with you. Mm -hmm. So it's complicitly yeah. agreeing, no different than saying consent. There's two elements to that scenario. It's not just what you've built in terms of the trust or the environment, but there's also the social psychology aspect yeah. where if they were to see someone being beaten in front of them right then and there, and you were in the room, yeah. they'd still not say anything because each person thinks psychologically so the next person's calling on one. Even it's though that whole effect they had in New York or whatever it was, where they were right. all watching it go, somebody that's must right. have called. That's yeah. right. That's right. That's true. So there's two elements to that. It's not, I mean, I, yes, you're right, but there's an extra element that I'm not sure that you were picking up on, perhaps. No, 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 no. It's, it's all there. But the biggest thing when I asked them afterwards, why didn't you do it? Their response was, we trust you. Yeah. 
that was their response. So, you know, yeah. like, I, again, there's more to it, but yeah. they all said, well, we trust you. And like, but, but then we were confused, but they, so the point is confusion, trust, whatever that's yeah. going to lead to consent or yep. yeses when that's not the truth. And we've, yep. we've all seen this play itself. Yeah. Out. yeah. It's the same thing with, if you like someone, whether sure. it's just a brotherly love kind of deal, yep. you're more likely to buy into whatever crap they're selling. Even if it's not, I'm being honest, and whether it's crap, crap, or whether it's, you know, the next bridge or whether, whatever the case is, you know, it, it just depends what we're trying to talk about or the, the next new fancy pen that's supersonic and has lasers and it's really cool. It's a great gadget. You know, the point is, is if you feel a connection, even if they haven't told you anything about their life, actually, this is important. If the studies have shown, actually, that if, if you have a, a, an emotional positive connection to somebody and they haven't even told their life story, People have said, yeah, I feel like I know them. Yeah. It, it warps everything. So hmm. interesting. We got a question from Mary Kay right here. She says, question for Will, does intuition play a role in your assessments? Great question, yes, Mary not, Kay. Thank you for that. Yeah, but but not initially. So when I was a rookie, my assessments weren't always 100%. And so that required more work. <laughs> and more patience by my supervisors and in management and everything else, as time goes on, yes. And and the more you see something, the more you're able to size it up, but also there's a danger in that as well. And oh, it comes yeah, to is. the root of priming. And we have these conversations too, where priming is a huge beast that people aren't really paying attention to, honestly. And so, yeah, it helps in terms of, I call a gut, okay? I think women have psychic radar, Partially kidding, but partially not. Uh, and guys have a gut in that sense. So my gut is developed at this point. But at the same time, I don't let it rule everything. I'm like, wait a second. This is my hypothesis. This is my guiding principle theory, whatever. Let me just assess for everything else possible, as ridiculous as it might sound, because I don't want to miss something. And then it's easy to miss something, especially if you're talking to a narcissist who's really laying on thick or whoever else may be laying on thick whether it's emotional or factual or whatever, that perspective is so huge. Mm, so true. So true. Before I ask my last question, uh, Elizabeth also says here, she goes, especially if the person reacts in the fawn response yes. to trauma. Absolutely. Thank you, Elizabeth, for that. I just got to capture this. I'm going to, I'm going to go, I'm going to go levity for just a second before I ask my last question. But Robert's here. He publicly declares my wife has a spiked collar in her dresser. And he goes <laughs> to say, I was not the one to explore that. So a little levity in the situation. But when I think about all the things we're talking about here and thank you so much, Will, for sharing this, it's a brilliant conversation. And, and to Elizabeth's point, uh, yes, it is deep. Talking to us about prevention. So somebody's in a relationship, they're starting to see signs of things. Obviously, communication is a big thing. But what are some other recommendations that you might have for them um, to be able to prevent a lot of this stuff that ultimately ends in a, in a terrible situation? So if so, there's a couple. I'll, I'll be you know as concise as possible. If we're talking about the divorce itself. If ultimately dragging things out doesn't usually work. To make it work for the sake of the kids, make it work for the sake of whatever, doesn't work. I've had that in my situation, my experiences, nine years later into that relationship, got divorced, should have been probably way, way sooner, a lot sooner. And so if when you know, you know. Yeah. And it's important to say, you know what, I know, and to take actions then, but don't tell the other person. If you're leaving, especially if there's narcissism, abuse, anything where there's a dynamic of power and control, then it's so, so important not to tell the other person. First and foremost, 
get, and this is some of the stuff that I teach in terms of my consulting and everything else. So some secret sauce stuff. So here we go. It's get a separate email address and begin to use that for everything. Use that also as a way of documenting, like a journal. Spoke to so-and-so on this day, this time, this location, or spoke to this police officer or this sheriff or this whoever, badge number, whatever, this time, this location, whatever, because stuff you're going to need to give to the court for subpoena is what it's called. You're better off having it in, in an email that isn't the same email that you, you know, say F off to your friends with or send nude photos to whatever, you know, or you did way back when you're using the same email address for the last 20 years or whatever, because again, that stuff could be part of discovery and it gets more and more tricky how to handle certain things. So having a separate email address is really important. I, if especially if you're going through abuse or narcissism or anything like that, I would have it encrypted. So you can use a service called ProtonMail. There's a whole bunch, but ProtonMail is one of the big ones. It's encrypted. They're based out of Switzerland, I think it is. So they're pretty neutral, even in email. Uh, jokes included, so to speak. And also, I would use a app called Signal. Now, we can debate if apps are truly safe or not. That's a whole other topic of conversation. But okay. Signal is the better one. I would not use WhatsApp for, for anything. Don't think it's encrypted. Bad news, in my <laughs> my opinion. I have to say that legally, whatever, but I would use Signal, okay? If the other person has Signal too, it's end-to-end -end encrypted, okay? So that's some of the big stuff. And then try and find a lawyer who understands narcissism and abuse if you're going through the divorce thing, going through the domestic violence thing, any of that kind of stuff, find someone who gets it. Not all of them do. It's a, one of our biggest mistakes is we assume, oh, our lawyer will argue all these things for us, or I can just go and testify in court like we see on TV. People just start saying stuff to the judge. No. Mm -hmm. Information has to be converted so it speaks court, whether it's in writing, an affidavit, whatever the case is. And there's tricks that are cheap or free that you don't need a lawyer for, but I always suggest someone getting a lawyer in any legal matter. Sure. And there's tricks and tips to be able to do that stuff to empower you so that you have the upper hand. Because the more evidence a person has, the more the mountain is on your side, the more the judge is going to tell the other party, go settle. And that's what you want. You want to settle. You don't want things dragging on for years. You don't want to have the decision put in somebody else's hands because they're not you. They're going to apply the law or apply how they envision the law. Remember, it's the same thing before about um, perception and about assumptions and about expectations. A lot of these principles apply in different ways, but it's the same kind of principles. So always try to have your power, your control, your voice, among other things. And that's some of the things that I mentioned to you off, off camera for 10 split seconds. It's I recently, yesterday, was actually offered a, a spot on the podcast. So that's one exciting thing that I mentioned I was going to be mentioning. The other thing was I'm actually also involved in another podcast. Both of them are related to men's issues. Well, one more than the other. Um, and ultimately there'll be a build out in terms of my brand, not just for helping women, which I will continue to do, but also helping men as well. So there you go. Two, two, you know, public announcements that I, I can make. I can't say all of it just yet, but those are the two public announcements that I saved, especially because we've been pretty good friends. I think, you know, especially I would say friends for the last little while, you know, and I wanted to at least give some added value and stuff as a way of saying thank you to having me on. It's been a long time okay. coming, so thank you for that. I do appreciate it. No worries. Well, it's been a great conversation. Where can people get a hold of you and continue the conversation with you? I'm on, I'm all over social uh, in terms of the company. It's called Control and Power Strategy. Um, there you go. 
uh, Will Tessman is the is the personal uh, page I'd prefer. It's just easier. Everything's streamlined to go to the control and power strategy pages. And the handles on Instagram and Twitter are C underscore P underscore strategy. Or if you're using army terms, Charlie underscore um, Papa underscore strategy. Uh, in terms of the uh, the two handles on on social, but I'm I'm all over the place, and you can also reach me as we know quite well on Owl. Owl. Uh, in terms of being able to give us a call right away then and there, or yeah. ping us to come back on ten minute conversations, and you get your some of your answers, you know, there then and then and there, and um, you're good to go. So let me put that up there real quick. Owl.com. Yeah, so we can go, we can also go right there. Owl.com. It's an amazing app. You can sit there and call somebody and pay them a little bit of money and ask them a question right there and get an answer. Yep. Will Kesselman, thank you so much for being here on the Unfiltered Experience. I'm going to place you backstage for just a second. Scott and I are going to close out the show. Thanks. Don't go anywhere, man. I appreciate you being here and uh, we will be right with you. We're just going to end out the show. Mr. Scott Goyat. Great opportunity conversation went like that. What are some uh, what are some things you're going to take away from this conversation? What we recommend for our listeners and our viewers to take away from this conversation as well? Discretion and support. You know, one of the things that you know he brought up. If you're truly being abused and you're not the one who's gaslighting the other person, trying to flip the script, and there's truly something that's hurting you, and you feel stuck, um, seeking support so you can minimize the mountain and making sure that uh, you do it with some discretion so that. Uh, the other person doesn't know and try to lure you back in uh, if they're hurting you. So uh, I think that's a decent summary from everything that I listened to and and make sure that you have the power. So, and I think that lies in that discretion and support. So that's all I got, Chris. That's all I got. Well said, well said. Elizabeth says, bravo. She's the one that introduced me to Will. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Elizabeth. Appreciate that. Thank you, Mary Kay. Thank you, Robert. Thank you, everybody who's watching uh, live or on the replay. we got Catherine in the house. forgot to mention Catherine. Catherine just quit smoking. Good for right, you, Catherine? Man. She's smoking a straw, I hope. Uh, thank you so much, guys, for being here. Uh, you guys have been a, a, a truly, truly appreciative um, in everything that you said. And I would, I would concur with you, Scott. I mean, realistic, realistically, it's like Will just said, you know, like, if you know, you know. Like if you're in an abusive relationship, if you don't see the end in mind, if you don't see that person changing, and especially if you say, hey, let's go to counseling and they say no, then that's a red flag to sit there and say, okay, oh, if you yeah. don't want to work on this, then then we got we got some discussions to have because it's way better to to end it now and go through that pain and that heartbreak in two to three years time, find the right person that you're supposed to be with and be treated the way you deserve to be treated rather than spending another nine years to to fake it to to pretend to, for your kids or anybody else because our dear friend Dan Fail, uh, when I asked him when I met him recently, I said, you know, when you think about your divorce, I mean, that must have been tough. Your kids were, were small. And he goes, my kids recently just came to me and said, Dad, thank you for not being those parents that stay together and be miserable. We knew you guys weren't happy. And they were young. I think they were five or six when he got divorced. He goes, the kids now are like, now we got you that are happy. Mom's happy. You guys are dating other people. You're dating happy people. So ladies and gentlemen out there, stop being complacent stop being mediocre stop putting up with shit that you don't deserve to put up with call it out try to get some help and if it doesn't work then call it out and go move on with your life because it's a beautiful life out there um so we thank you guys for being here as always do not forget to go to the unfiltered experience.com www.theunfilteredexperience.com join the facebook community join the conversation online let us know who you want to see on the show potential guests that you've seen elizabeth referred will to the show 
whoever it is that you want to see on the show. And especially also, if you want to see certain topics, me and Scott talk, you know, sometimes we do the show, solo show. So if you have a conversation, a topic that you would like us to explore, we would be happy to do that. And we just appreciate you guys being here every single week. Please share the episode out. That's what we're doing. We're growing this thing authentically. I think now we're in like three or four countries. We're growing and we appreciate you, but we need you guys, our unfiltered crew to go out there and share this shit out. So we appreciate you guys go out there and have a phenomenal week. And uh, we will be back next Friday night, 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. The Unfiltered Experience. Christopher Roush, Scott Goyette. Peace out. Love you guys. Love.